0: So when Pastor David was talking about the head nod, had a flashback to high school, which is a really long flashback for me, because I graduated high school in 1985, and I remember coming home from school one day, and my mom said, "Uh, Aunt Cindy called, and uh, said that you're not saying hi to your cousin at school. So my cousin had just, it was her, had just, we lived in a small town, so she was just old enough to, to come to high school to be a freshman. I was like, that's not true. I say hi to her every time I see her. And my mom was like, well, if that's not what Aunt Cindy said. And I said, well, I don't, I, I don't know why she would say that. I say hi to her all the time. And, uh, and so my mom says, well, how do you say hi? I was like, I did the head nod. And she's like, that's not how you say hi. I said, well, that's how we say hi now. That might not have been how you said hi. And she said, no, you have to actually say hello. I said, well, I'm not doing it. Don't pay attention, teenagers. I'm going to get to that tonight. And my mom said, oh, yes, you are. And I said, oh, I'm not. And she said, oh, we'll see. So then when my dad got home from work, yeah, he said, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, I'm going to say hi to her tomorrow. <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, sometimes it's a team effort. The head nod took me back. Whew, broke out into a sweat there. I could almost hear my mom saying both my first names, Joseph Frederick, middle and first and middle. It's good to have our Suffolk campus here with us tonight. Come on. We know there's a bunch of people watching online, so I'm going to do my best to stay close to the table, not wander out of the camera view. So if you're watching online, we want to say welcome. You know, I was trying to figure out, you know, because usually in worship, you know, some people are are more expressive than others, right? That's the part we want you to find a freedom here. But I was like, somebody is really excited here tonight, but I couldn't figure out who it was. And then I was like, oh, Suffolk is here. Tammy Masters is with us. Come on. So you go, lady. Don't shrink back. You'd never, ever. I was like, I love that. I love that. Unashamed passion. Don't change, Tammy. Don't change. Come on. Don't, don't change. Hey, I do appreciate you being here. You know, we're just, we're doing what everybody else is doing. We're making decisions week by week, but we did have such a sense that we were supposed to be here tonight. I just want you to know that that we have strict uh, protocols that we follow with our kids' spaces. We've been doing this forever since the start of the church, and so we don't have to make any changes there because we already do such a a great job of sanitation in our kids' spaces. We are saying, like everybody else is saying, if you're not feeling well, we would prefer that you stay home you know, exercise wisdom when it comes to contact. And part of it is that you might not have a problem being in physical contact with other people, but they might, right? And so let's be respectful for others. We're gonna start doing extra disinfecting here in the building so it's a safe place to come. The church should be a place where the doors are open, right, until until it's not reasonable anymore. There's a fine line between faith and foolishness, and we're going to do a good job of discerning between that. But at this point, we really feel like we want to be a church that's open so people can come. So we don't have plans at this point to scale back service, but we are scaling back everything else beyond our weekend service. And I would just encourage, if you're a follower of Christ, be a voice of hope in the world. Be a voice of hope. Where you are in your workplace, in your conversation with your neighbors. Offer to pray with people. I'm telling you, people are open. Sometimes people have never had someone pray for them before. You don't have to touch them. You don't have to put your hand. You don't, I'm just telling you, right? You don't even have to close your eyes. It's okay. God still hears you, He still hears you. So offer to pray for people if they seem discouraged or upset or in a place of, of despair. So, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have tonight to come and to dig into your word. And as we say so often, God, we pray that your word would dig into us. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. You know, as I was coming back from Williamsburg on Wednesday, I was dropping off our taxes, and I was on Interstate 64. And as I was driving back to come to the office, I had such a sense in the prompting of the Holy Spirit, uh, just, in my, just in my thoughts and in my reflection about what it means when the Bible says to train up a child. And so as, I, as I'm kind of reflecting on that, and and uh, I'm, I'm I've, I have this question, that, you know, I wonder if I'm supposed to write a blog. I haven't written a blog recently, and and so I do that every now and again. I was like, well, maybe I'm supposed to do a blog on parenting, like a little three-part series, or a little mini series on parenting. So I, start, I begin to formulate my thoughts. What would I say? What would I write? I begin to think about, you know, what, what's the what's been the culture of our home? You know, marriage. We're passionate about marriage, Vanessa and I. We we did premarital counseling with a couple that's getting married just this week, and. We're passionate about parenting. You're born biologically with the ability to make kids, but you're not born with the wisdom to raise them. you got to learn how to do that. And so I'm, I'm, ex- I'm passionate about parenting and, and, and the work that we've done in our own home with our own children. And so I just began to formulate my thoughts. And then I just had such a distinct sense that the Holy Spirit said, Fred, this isn't a blog. This is your message for Saturday. And so I thought, you know, I, I, uh, even though we're in this series, I, I think there's a, we're, we're going to there, there's a way for us to fit it in, but even if it wasn't, this is our topic because we want to always follow the prompting of the leading of the Holy Spirit. So last night, I was out on the porch late, and, and I was again just thinking, reflecting uh, about today, and I, and I had this thought, God, I, I'm not, right? You ever question God, right? I was like, God, I'm not really sure a message on parenting is really the right thing, you know, for, how about, how about I had this literal conversation with God. I was like, how about I preach on Noah's Ark, because that'll preach, Right there's always a right, there's always rescue for the righteous right I was already alliterating in my broken preacher's brain so I'm I'm trying to I'm like trying to sell God on this idea of of, of how I, I want to preach something different and I kid you not this I just had such a sense that the Holy Spirit said Fred on Wednesday when we gave you this message do do you think that we didn't know that there was going to be a national state of emergency on Friday. And I was like, okay, you, all, right, all right, you got me there. That whole thing about you being all-knowing, right? I get it. And uh, so if you're here tonight and you think that preaching a message on parenting seems to be a little bit odd in the time that we're in, I'm with you. And if you want to complain, you can call 1-800-P-R-A-Y and, uh, and you can take it up with him because I'm going to give you what he gave to me. And, uh, and I'm not going to be in a hurry, because most of you, you don't have anywhere to be, and you're not going to go anywhere else for the next two weeks anyways. So settle in. <laughs> settle in. Settle in. So we are in a series. I just want to touch on that a little bit, because it does really fit. And uh, as you'll see in a minute, so our first slide's going, going to come up. But, but this is the series that we're in, right? Project here. It's based on the Old Testament word shema. In the Hebrew, there's not a separate word for obedience. There's just this word Shema, which means that when we listen, especially if we're listening to someone we trust and respect in authority, that we, that we naturally, reflexively do what they say. That should define, Shema should define our relationship with God. When he speaks, we should do. So I want the reflex of my heart to be one of obedience to God. But most of us, if we're honest, we understand that's not how our heart operates. And if we're really honest, we realize we're complicated people. So there's some areas of our life that are reflexive Sometimes we're reluctant, but then sometimes we are rebellious. And so, all of us in different areas of our life, we fall. So, if you were to plot yourself on this scale, you would have to plot yourself probably on this scale in lots of different places given the situation and the circumstance that you're in. So again, sometimes we're rebellious, sometimes we are reluctant, and then sometimes we're reflexive. Reflexive is the place that we want our hearts to get to in every area of our lives. That's a mark of spiritual maturity, right? We want to decrease rebelliousness, we want to decrease reluctance, and we want reflexive obedience to be the natural part of who we are so this series is working through these five conversions that was my intention through this series touching on each one of these and we've done uh, introduction to the series we've done religious conversion we've also done intellectual conversion And as we continue through this series which we plan to do we'll continue to touch those other ones and you can get those on our podcast and also I try to mention every week that our notes are always online we tend to cover a lot of textual ground which can be a frustration to note takers if we move faster than you would prefer but this is always online as a PDF, and you can download that. If you need help with that, then see someone in our youth ministry, and they can direct you. So let me, let, let me, let me just ask you this question, especially in the time that we're in. Right? If you've got children in your home, especially young children, think about how vigilant you are right now for their physical well-being. Right? David was talking about how you are aware of your body. If you are a parent, think about how aware you are of your child's body right now of their cleanliness, the cleanliness of your home and public settings, where they are, things that they touch, what they do. Think, think just about how vigilant you, you are going to become as a parent for their physical health and for their physical well-being. And what I would say to you, you should be that vigilant for the eternal part of who they are. We, we, as parents, we can't just be vigilant about their physical body. We should also be vigilant about their spiritual life. There should be a drive inside of us as parents for the righteousness of our children, just as much as the health and the well-being of our children physically. And I think sometimes in society, even as David said, there's, there's, it's almost second nature to protect our children's physical well-being, but oftentimes as parents, we're failing. We're failing for their well-being when regards to their righteousness. Tonight's message is going to be hard for some of you because you've already raised your children. And tonight's going to be a reminder of the mistakes that you made. And, and this message is not intended to condemn. This, this message is hopefully to inspire you that maybe one day you're going to be a grandparent and you're going to get an opportunity to advise your children to do it differently than you. For some of you, this message is going to prompt you that you've got some forgiveness to ask for. It does. For some of you, if you've made, you've made mistakes with your kids because you knew better and you were lazy, for some of you, it, I'm telling you, you should meet with your adult children and ask them to forgive you. If, if, if you made well-intended mistakes, that's a different conversation, but sometimes that's simply just saying you're sorry. You did the best that you could, but can I just tell you what it would mean to your children? Because they know where you fell short. Talk about it as a family. It's okay to say you're sorry. It's okay to say that you wish you had done better. I'll never forget a conversation I had with my father. God rest him, died five years ago. That um I was out of college and I was at home and and uh I grew up in the country in Varina and, and uh and and we were on a septic system and one of the main sewer lines had collapsed in the yard, and so we were digging it up, and so we were literally up to our knees in. Right. And uh like Vanessa's story on the motorcycle, and uh and so we're digging, and I'll, and I'll never forget my dad stopped for a minute and looked at me and, uh, and just said, I know we didn't do everything right, and I'm sorry. And the tears that were, that were coming down his cheeks, and they did a lot right. I, and I, Can I just tell you what that meant to me as his son? We didn't have a long conversation. We, we didn't, it, didn't, it didn't become this, this on, but it was just a moment where he knew he needed to say something to me as his son. I'm just telling you, some of you, you've you got to find the courage to say that to your children. Set aside your pride. Set aside your pride and humble yourself. And for some of you, while your children are still at home, for some of you, while your children are still young, I hope that a lot of the things that I'm going to say tonight are going to redirect the way that you parent and give you a sense of empowerment and give you a strategy that you can follow. I want to talk to you about parenting goals that maybe that you have that you shouldn't have because they're goals that the world has given to you. I want to show you this list. I want to show you this list. I want my child to be happy. I want, I want my, my children to like me. I want my children to be accepted. I want my children to be successful. And we're going to stay on this list just for a minute. Now, now when I look at that list, I want you to hear me say, these are not bad things. In fact, can I just tell you, for all of my children, I, I want them to be happy in life. I want my children to like me. I want my children to be accepted, social, social acceptance. And I want my children to be successful. What, but what I'm saying to you is these cannot be the most important things that you're hoping for for your children. In fact, what I would say to you, if you're reaching for this list, then you're setting your children up for failure because they're never gonna find this list. There's deeper things that you should be working towards. In fact, these, if they're going to have them in any measure, it's gonna come because you pointed them in a direction towards other things. So let me replace this list for you. Because what you should want for your children is for them to be wise. What you should want for your children is for them to respect you. What you should want for your children is for them to be secure in their identity. And what you should want for your children is for them to be faithful. See, can I just say to you, if you raise children who are wise, who respect you, who are secure, and who are faithful, can I just say to you, then they're gonna find more happiness than they could have otherwise hoped for. They're gonna have a relationship with you that's healthy and meaningful, where you actually like each other in adult years more than you could have ever hoped for. They're going to find acceptance and they're going to experience success. The problem is in society, we're told to fight for the wrong things for our kids, not that they're bad, but that those are the things that we should not be reaching for primarily. So I want to talk for a few minutes about each of one of them individually. This idea of I want my Children to be happy when what you should be looking for is for them to be wise. We're going to be reading out of Proverbs multiple times tonight. This is Proverbs 4 7. Listen to this. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Wisdom avoids the foolishness that robs us of our happiness. I want to say that again. Wisdom avoids the foolishness that robs us of our happiness. We want our children to be happy. We want to be happy. But so much of our happiness is robbed from the foolishness of life. There's going to be enough in this life that's going to come that we have no control over that's going to rob us of happiness. What we're saying is let's not add to that. Are there times when your children are going to be sad and regretful and mournful? Sure there are, because they're going to face hard times in this life. But we're saying, let's let's raise children in such a way that they're not adding to their sorrow through their own foolish choices. I want my children to like me, but more than anything else, what I really want is for them to respect me, which means I have to be respectful, respectable. Ephesians 6.2, listen to this honor your father and mother honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with promise that's a big deal young people if you're here tonight if you're watching from home of the 10 commandments there's only one of them has a promise attached to it and this is one and you know what the promise is that you will live a long life in the land that god gives to you that's an incredible promise It's an incredible promise. God is saying if if you honor your parents, there, there is a prospering. It doesn't mean that you will only prosper in life, but there is a measure of prospering that will not come to you if you do not honor them. And I would argue that that commandment doesn't stop even once you become an adult. Because when you become an adult, it doesn't mean that you're under their authority anymore. That's part of the maturation of life. But it doesn't mean that you lose your responsibility to honor your parents, to treat them in an honorable way. Do parents have a responsibility to be respectable? Yes, they do. But can I just say to you that in God's Word, that clarifier is not given. So even when they aren't, there is a way to honor them that is godly. You and I should be working in our home to raise children who respect us. So many parents compromise in holding their children to a higher standard because emotionally they can't deal with the feeling of their kid's not liking them, and you've got to get over that. You've got to be willing as a parent to go through seasons, sometimes long seasons of your child not liking you if you know that you're doing something that's in their best interest, and they will ultimately respect you because of it, and later in life they will like you because you chose them over yourself when you compromise standards in your home for your children because you want them to like you it is selfishness you're choosing your own self over their well-being number three i want my children to be accepted i want my children to be accepted listen to psalm 139 13 and 14 You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. This is David talking to the Lord. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You should raise your children with this vision that God has made them for a purpose. We're going to get to that a little bit more tonight. But can I just tell you, identity for your child starts by having an identity as part of your family, but very quickly, their biggest identity should be that in their relationship with their heavenly father. You should inundate your child with words, with stories, with verses, with even things that you speak over them, that they are chosen by God, that they are loved by God, that he's got a plan and a purpose for their life. Their identity has to begin and the idea that they've been created by a divine being. Because when their identity is formed in Christ, they're going to find security. Too many parents, too many parents, are more concerned about their child's social acceptance over their Christian identity. Self-acceptance is more important than social acceptance. And self-acceptance can only come when we see ourselves as God sees us and can I just tell you children that have self-acceptance because of their identity in Christ they find social acceptance because all of a sudden they have what every other kid is looking for to begin with which is a sense of purpose and meaning do we want our children to be successful we do but not at the expense of being faithful Luke 12 15 then he said beware guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Teach your children not to chase material things. Teach your children to chase a calling. Teach your children to have a dream for a purpose, which is what we've already talked about in identity, but then that identity has got to begin to drive them in their choices. You don't want your children to chase after money. You don't want your children to chase after material things. Is money bad? No, it's not. Are material things bad? No, it's not. Those are things that, that, that God created us a capacity to have those things to enjoy life, but that can't be where we find meaning in life. We've got to find meaning in life by fulfilling our purpose. We want to teach our children not about success. We want to teach our children about faithfulness, to be found faithful in the calling that God has for us. So how do we do those things? How do we do those things? That's where this phrase, train up a child, comes from. That's what it means. In Proverbs 22, 6, I'm going to read you the King James, but then I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. The King James says this, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in an area where this verse was talked about a lot, and usually the context of this verse was, was, it was used as a promise that was given to parents of wayward children. Right, train up a child in the way they should go. When he was old, he went on from it. Meaning that if you, did, if you did your part when they were young, even though they've wandered away, they'll come back to it. That's God's promise. Now, are there other verses in the Bible that speak to hope for wayward children? Sure, absolutely they do. I love that even the parable, the prodigal son talks about not giving up hope. The father was waiting for the son to come home as if he knew he was coming. He'd been waiting there for years because there was hope for the wayward child. But can I just say to you, that's not what Proverbs 22, 6 is about. This verse is not about hope for wayward children. This hope is a challenge to parents to do the right thing when they're young so that they never get off the path to begin with. Train up a child. Let me read it in the New Living Translation, which gets a little better. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it because they've stayed on it. They say it again direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not. You should not be raising your children with the belief that one day they're going to be wayward and rebel. You should be raising your children with the belief and the expectation that they're going to find a vision for the adventure that God has for them, and when the world comes to present them something different, they're going to scoff at it because they see the cheap imitation that it is. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. I'm not talking about kids not making mistakes. Kids make mistakes. We make mistakes. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about lapse of judgment, momentary mistakes. I'm not talking about veering a little bit here and there. What we're talking about is people that, are way, people that just walk away into a life of debauchery. That should not be the journey of your children if you're doing your part when they're young. Now, what I love to partner with Proverbs 22.6 is Proverbs 29.18, because herein comes our strategy. The way in which we train up a child is through this idea of Shema, which fits into our sermon series. 29.18 says, where there is no vision in the King James, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. Now, let me read it in the New Living Translation. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run Wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Now, why do I connect Proverbs 29, 18 to Proverbs 22, 6? The reason is because my parenting strategy should be to give my children ultimately a vision for a life of surrender to divine guidance. I want to develop in the heart of my child a Shema. I want to develop a heart in my child that there there is a desire to live for God. To serve him, believing that his plan and his purpose for them is better than anything this world has to offer. I know that I grew up in an environment, even though my parents did the best that they could. One of the reasons why I ran from Christianity at a, as a young age, because I had bought into the lie that in order to be a Christian to go to heaven, I had to give up everything that was worth doing in this life. But you, you understand the, the deception of that, right? Because the truth is just the opposite that wandering away from the goodness of God and the plan of God is actually settling for less. And we say it all the time. Every time God says no to anything in this life, it's not because he's trying to rob us of pleasure. It's because he's trying to protect us from mediocrity. He knows the path to the best life possible. And you and I should give our child a vision for that life. Let me share this statement with you, I'm going to give you three aspects of the culture of a home to do these things. The culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. The culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. I'm going to read it one more time. The culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. And if you're not strategic and intentional about the culture that's in your home, then the culture of something else is going to shape your child's heart. And don't let it be. The first one is this. You've got to ask yourself an honest question tonight. If you've got children in your home or if you've raised children, reflect. Talk about this. If you're married and you're, you're an empty nester, you should be talking about this with your spouse. Is your home a mission home or is it a me home? Is it a mission home or is it a me home? Philippians 2, 3-4, through 4. don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Is that the culture of your home? Because it should be if it's a mission home. If you have a me home, these are the kinds of questions that you tend to ask for yourself and for your children. How does this benefit me? Am I getting my way? Is this what's best for me? Is this convenient for me? You you see all these lists I'm working with tonight? This this is the subtle deception. None of these things are evil or bad. You tracking with me? They're not evil or bad. And that's why we find ourselves slipping into these mindsets and mentalities. And the way that your child adopts this type of mindset and mentality is through observing your own behavior and your conversations. When you're in a conflict at work, when you're in a conflict with your neighbor, when you're in an argument with your spouse, what is your child learning about life through observing your behavior? Are you raising a me-oriented child because you have a me-oriented attitude towards life? When you're thinking about situations and circumstances that you're in, even in church, where do you what do you go to first? Are you going to first, how does this benefit me? Am I getting my way? Is this what's best for me? Is this what's convenient for me? Let me give you what a mission-oriented home. A mission-oriented home, the culture of a mission-oriented home tends to ask these questions first. How can I help others? Ouch. If you're a parent and you have kids that are old enough, you have chores in your house. And if you don't, then that's part of the problem. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Your three kids overhearing a conversation where one of them is not going to be able to do their chores because they've got to do something that they didn't expect. And instead of hearing your children gripe and complain about it not being fair, what, what if the culture of your home that one of your children said, no, 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 I'll do that for you. For some of you, you would wake up and there is Jesus because you've just died <laughs> from a massive heart attack. You're tracking with me? Th- this should be the culture of your home. I'm not saying your kids necessarily get there right away, but but they should get there pretty quick. All of us have human nature, right? Human nature, its first impulse is how does it benefit me? But if you've got a mission oriented home, then what you should find is that your kids get to this place pretty quick. How can I help others? is this the choice that Jesus would make? Am I serving everywhere until God reveals my somewhere? There you go. Yes, sir. If it takes you six months to a year to figure out where you're supposed to serve in the church that you call home, what do you think you're modeling for your children? Am I serving everywhere until God reveals my somewhere? Am I deferring to the preferences of others? I'm not talking about allowing yourself to be taken advantage of. I'm not talking about not standing up for yourself at times. We understand that's not what we're talking about tonight. What we're saying is raise children who are not me-minded, but raise children who are mission-minded, that they understand that God created them for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to serve their fellow man. Matthew 20, 28, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can I just tell you that for some of you, your children are hoping to be successful one day, Because they bought into the belief that the more power that they have and the more resources that they have and the more money that they have, that more people will serve them instead of them having to serve them. And that's backwards. You should be raising children that have a dream for faithfulness in their calling and that if if by God's design part of that calling is for them to have resources and authority and privileges that you're raising children who are going to say, now I'm excited because I get to serve my world even more than what I've could before. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece, come on, masterpiece. Sometimes I know it feels like God crumpled up the paper and tossed it aside and started over, but that's not true for any human being. Every person is a masterpiece in God's eyes. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so what? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Your children should be growing up in a home that has this belief and this vision and this idea that God created them for this incredible journey. There's an adventure in this life that's waiting for them, and they can't wait to give themselves to it. And much of that journey is always going to be meeting the needs of others oftentimes at the expense of themselves. What are they observing in you, your thoughts, your attitudes, your behavior? You're teaching your children to be me people, or are you teaching your children to be mission-minded people? The culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. Morality or monasticism. Is your home a home of morality, or is it a home of monasticism? And we're going to cover this in greater detail in a couple of weeks when I talk about a moral conversion, so we're not going to dig too deep in it tonight, but I, I do want to touch on it. You are failing your children if you're only giving them prohibitive rules that restrict instead of biblical values that direct. You're failing your children if you're only giving them prohibitive rules that restrict instead of biblical values that direct. We've been doing a parenting class here at City Life from the very first year we came in October of 2007. We taught that class in 2008. We've been teaching it ever since. If you've never taken that class, you should do it. Probably offered in the fall. Let me show you this formula. Let Let me talk about how most people operate and how it's broken. This is the biblical way to do it. Biblical value plus self control equals moral conduct. Biblical value plus self control equals moral conduct. Most people, like, and especially in the home that I grew up in, it was a prohibitive rule to follow plus compliance equals moral conduct. That's how most people parent. A prohibitive rule plus compliance equals moral conduct. Now, that's how you have to parent when your kids are really little. But early elementary school, there should be a shift. And the shift should be to here. The shift should be to biblical value plus self control. Listen to me, because you want them to learn and take on the responsibility of choosing to do what is right equals moral conduct. If you raise your children out of when they're really little, into adolescence, listen to me, into adolescence, and your parenting strategy doesn't shift and it stays in a place of prohibitive rules plus compliance equals moral conduct, then you're creating your child what's called an objective conscience. And an objective conscience means that your children will comply, but out of fear for the consequence. For some of there's in the parenting class, we, we give you a test that tests whether or not you actually have. Most people that take that test have an objective conscience. Most people do what's right primarily because they're afraid of the consequence, because that's how their parents shaped them. Because most parents, that's all that they knew, because that's how they were parented. We've worked hard in our home, and we try to help you learn how to work hard in your home. That, that when your children get into that early elementary school age, Your goal should be to nurture in your child a desire for the good. And when you raise your child in such a way where you begin to teach them the moral reason why and the biblical value, you create in them a moral warehouse, a biblical warehouse value, a a, a warehouse of biblical values that begin to instruct their life. And all of a sudden it creates a desire for good. It creates a desire for righteousness so that when there is an opportunity to do something that they shouldn't do, they don't do it not because they're afraid of the consequence, they don't do it because they recognize that it's wrong and they prefer the desire for what is good. This is what God talks about with us and our relationship with Him. This, we talk about this all the time in our lives as devoted followers of Christ. God doesn't want us to worship and come to church and read the Bible and serve because they're afraid that He might punish us. We do these things because we believe that they are the pathways to life and meaning and fullness. 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Sam, Samuel replied, replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Listen to this. Your burnt offering and sacrifice or your obedience to His voice? Shema. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of the ram. What's the Holy Spirit talking about here through Samuel? He's talking about Shema. He's talking about your motivation. That God is not looking for us to be a people who comply because we're afraid of what he might do. Now, I'm with you. When your kids are little, they should do what you say because they're afraid of the consequence. But at some point, they should begin to do what you say because they begin to realize that they can trust you and they are hungry for your influence because they know that the way that you're directing them is towards a life that's going to be well lived. And you're nurturing in them a heart, a heart for righteousness. Monasticism started around the year 300, and for about 1,500 years, it perpetuated a belief that spiritual growth comes primarily through suffering and sacrifice, and for many of us, that defines our parenting strategy. We want to move out of monasticism into a place of morality where children are motivated for the right thing through desire. Listen to me. When you inspire your children to do the right things, it will displace the desire to do the wrong thing. It does not get rid of it, but it will displace it, and it will overcome it. When you inspire your children to do the right things, it will displace the desire to do the wrong things. The culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. All right, let's do one more. Matrimony or membership? This isn't an exhaustive list, obviously. This could be a series unto itself, and I think it probably will be one day, but these are the three that I picked that I, I feel like as a pastor I observe that are, that, that are some of the biggest failures that I see in people's homes. Matrimony or membership? Isaiah 54, 5, For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. I'm not going to go to these for the sake of time, but you've got 2 Corinthians eleven too. You've got Revelation 19, 7 through 9 that talk about us being the bride of Christ. It's not just poetic imagery. It is designed to help us to understand the nature of our relationship with God, and it should be one of romance and passion, not one of obligation and duty. If you have a healthy marriage here tonight, if you have a marriage that's filled with passion and love and devotion and loyalty, not one of duty and obligation, and God says, I want you to have that kind of relationship with me. And so what I would ask you is, are your children less inclined towards devotion to Christ because of the devotion to Christ that you're modeling for them? are you teaching your children to be church members or are you teaching them to be the bride of Christ? Because I will tell you that many of the families that I have seen just turning 53, I've seen a lot, and their kids grow up and as soon as they're out of the home, they're out of the church. And you know why? Because they grew up in a home about membership and not in a home about matrimony when it comes to their relationship with the local church. And you know why? Because this is what they observed through their parents. Membership, it seeks privileges, title, recognition, convenience, preferences, and negotiation. What does negotiation mean? It means that you negotiate your duty to the local church based on what you're willing to get in turn. So many of the children that... I've seen that can't wait to get away from the church when they get away from their house. It's because their parents did not give them a vision for what it means to be the bride of Christ. Listen to Luke 17, 7 through 10. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. Listen to what Jesus says. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Wow. Wow. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, as... As people, we have a tendency to want accolades for things that we should recognize. It's just our duty to do it to begin with, and that there's meaning and fulfillment in doing the duty itself. For so many people, they're raised in a home through by parents who neglect their duty in the local church because their parents are saying, what's in it for me? And all of a sudden, children are raised with this idea of local church is negotiated because they don't see what's in it for them. And Jesus says, what's in it for you, listen to this, what's in it for you is that you get to be with me. See, at some point, as a bride, we adopt the mindset and the mentality that my prize is Jesus. My prize is his presence. My prize is to serve him. And my prize is to make him smile. See, what matrimony seeks when it comes to the local church is his glory, not our own. It seeks his agenda, not our own. It seeks his people and not our own. It seeks his future and not our own. When we raise children who see themselves as the bride of Christ instead of members of a church, they can't wait to walk down the aisle to be with Him every weekend. Let me say that again. When we raise children who see themselves as the bride of Christ instead of members of a church, they can't wait to walk down the aisle to be with Him every weekend because the culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. There are too many Christian homes, listen to me, there are too many Christian homes that are raising children who believe the right things, but they're not becoming the right people. There's too many Christian homes that are raising their children to believe the right things, but they are not becoming the right people. 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow me as I follow Christ. We talk about that verse all the time here at City Life. Listen to me parents, spiritual maturity is your gateway to credibility when it comes to being a dominant influence in the lives of your children. Let me read it again, spiritual maturity is your gateway to credibility when it comes to being a dominant influence in the lives of your children. And if you're not sure what spiritual maturity looks like and you don't have a plan to get there, then you're in the right place. We'll give you one of those little green books for free. And I just say, some of you have been here for long enough, you've never asked for one of those books. Don't let pride stand in the way of somebody giving you something free. (laughs) That little book will set you on your way, on a path, to things that you can begin to do daily in your life so the character of Christ can begin to form in you. I'm just coming at you tonight. For some of you, it's not that your children don't want to be a part of Christianity. They just don't want to be a part of the Christianity that you demonstrate for them. Because the character of Christ is absent in your life. You and I have been given a sacred sacred responsibility as parents. Sacred responsibility. To be their protector, absolutely. To be their provider, you better believe it. You better believe it. But can we just agree one of the most sacred responsibilities that we have as parents is to create a culture in our home that nurtures a heart of Shema and the heart of our children. Because we give them a vision for a life that is surrendered to divine guidance by creating a culture where mission and matrimony and morality are celebrated and long for it. Stand with me. Jesus. Come on, 638, that's not too bad. Not too bad. Jesus. Hmm. Father, I I pray that tonight is going to start a conversation. Brother, that's my hope, that tonight is going to start a conversation between husbands and wives who are going to ask themselves this question, what kind of culture are we building in our home? And are we building the kind of culture that's setting our children up for a life of Shema? Shema? Are we creating the kind of culture in our home where there is desire for righteousness and for doing good? Are we creating the kind of culture in our home? Are we training up our child in the way that they should go so that being on this path of godliness is their pride? because we know that just like when we're traveling and we're trying to find our way towards a destination, that we have a vision for where we want to go. And it's that vision that keeps us on track. And we know, God, that you've given us what that vision is supposed to be. A life of surrender to you. Not out of obligation, not out of compliance, not because we're compelled to do it because we're afraid of the consequence, but because we are frightened to death at the loss of the prize of the goodness of the life that you've created for us. Let it be, God, that if we're afraid of something, let it be that we are afraid of the loss of the purposefulness of the masterpiece that you've created in us. If we're going to be afraid of anything, Lord, let it be that we are afraid of squandering the goodness that you have waiting for us. God, may it be that those children back in that nursery tonight, that they're going to be raised in homes where there is a culture, where there is a passion and a devotion for you that is surpassed by nothing else. Father, I pray for parents right now for supernatural insight. I pray, God, that you would sensitize them to the voice and the prompting of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, for parents right now, God, who are, are, are struggling with parenting because of their own brokenness, God, that, that you're going to help them get onto this path of healing for their own heart, God, so they're not passing brokenness from one generation to another. For some families right now, God, in Jesus' name, we pray that the brokenness of generations, God, it's going to stop with them. It's not going on to the next one, the next line. Father, I pray that you would give parents the courage to ask for help. For those that feel overwhelmed, that don't know what to do, that they would find this to be a safe place. They're going to reach out to those that are maybe a little bit farther along. They're going to reach out to those that have already done it and done it well. They're going to find communication and conversation and sometimes just commiseration with those that are in the fight themselves. Let us not shrink back for the sacred duty that you have given to us to raise up a generation for you, for you. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen, we'll see you next week.